Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Everyone's life is driven by something. What drives your life? Many are driven by things like guilt, resentment, anger, fear, materialism, and the need for approval. There are other forces that can drive your life, but all lead to the same dead end. Unused potential, unnecessary stress, an unfulfilled life. Well, the Bible has a remedy. St. Paul said to the Ephesians, Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. And the Master himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us think life through and search out the truth as we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thanks. Well, we are entering the month of September today, which means that it is Hunger Action Month. Every September, Feeding America, the nation's leading domestic hunger relief organization, encourages people from all walks of life to raise awareness for hunger relief. Now, from a Christian Catholic perspective, why should this be our concern? Well, because our, our Lord certainly has uh, commanded us to, be, uh, to love our neighbor as ourself. And uh, as you know, um, it is one of the... Uh, things that Jesus himself in his ministry multiplied uh, loaves and fishes to feed uh, people. Even in the Old Testament, this whole notion that God uh, provides for his people, we, in as much as we are believers and we uh, are in Christ, we have to be the uh, instruments of this charity in the world. And uh, so that has always been part, it's one of the corporal works of mercy uh, to feed the hungry. Uh, and so very much at the heart of, of, uh, of, our, of our faith. Do you think it's possible to be a Catholic, to be a Christian, and ignore the hunger of our brothers and sisters, be they neighbors in the next town over, or be they neighbors across the ocean? Well, no, it, it, it certainly would be uh, downright sinful to willfully ignore that. And uh, as far as... Um, just not being attentive to it, that certainly is uh, not praiseworthy, not at all virtuous, and would suggest a faith that is not fully formed, that doesn't appreciate the need uh, to be charitable. And uh, and it's also a question not just of charity, but if you look at the larger picture, it's also a question of justice, that, um, you know, that uh, we should create a just social order to the extent that we're able uh, in our local communities, in our country, and even in the world, uh, to do what we can to see that people are able to be fed, uh, not just by uh, giving uh, surplus uh, food to the hungry, but also by trying to create a, a world in which people are able to raise food uh, properly and, uh, and to be fed. Well, tomorrow is Monday, the first Monday of September, which means that it's Labor Day. 
And this National Day signals the unofficial end of summer, the start of the new school year, and an extra day to the weekend. But most importantly, it's a day to recognize the men and the women who labor to build this country. Archbishop, your thoughts, if you may, as to as we celebrate Labor Day weekend and the relationship of work and human dignity. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it was uh, Pope St. John Paul who wrote uh, and spoke very eloquently about the dignity of human work. Uh, And his reflection uh, is a a perfect uh, reading, uh, which uh, our listeners can find on uh, the web, I'm sure. Um, I believe it was Laboris Dignitatem. I think that was the Latin title, Mm -hmm. but uh, my memory escapes me. But on the web, you can certainly find the writings of the late great Pope and Saint on a topic like that. But, uh, you know, he, he's, it's not just about producing things. It's not just about the economy. But there is a dignity inherent to work that is part of the vocation of the human person. Uh, when we, our work uh, becomes uh, an expression uh, of ourselves uh, and uh, also the gift of ourself to the, to the community, to the world. Uh, and it, so it, it has a dignity that's beyond now I understand of course that a lot of times in a sinful world work can be very demeaning and harsh or even unjust in the sense that people don't have a decent workplace or fair wage but that's what we have to try to overcome that everybody have an opportunity for decent work and you know I would just say this too I now I the both of us we went to college we went to postgraduate study I have a doctorate in theology and I certainly have great regard for university and college uh, education. But, you know, there's also great dignity to manual labor and to people who are in trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Labor Day is a good day to acknowledge that, too. You know, a lot of our young people are told they can be whatever they want to be in life, which to me is a big challenge, you know. I mean, how do you find your way? Uh, but I think uh, that people make a great contribution it's a very honorable dignified thing to learn a trade and to practice it honestly and and with quality and so i i'm very conscious of people uh, being honored in that way too uh, particularly on labor day it seems that the expenditure of energy on the part of doing something good for the community or doing something good for your family by way of the work that you do is is something that celebrates the gift of life that God has given us. Well, absolutely. Our life is a gift, but it's also a task. It's also a responsibility to live. And to live also means to work in some fashion. And so that's part of what we give thanks to God for. Tuesday, September 3rd, uh, the Catholic Church observes the feast day of St. Gregory the Great, A central figure of the medieval Western Church, ordained a priest, Gregory became one of the Pope's seven deacons and also served six years in the East as papal representative in Constantinople. He was recalled to become abbot, but at the age of 50 was elected Pope by the clergy and the people of Rome. Gregory was content to be a monk, but he willingly served the Church in other ways when asked. If someone were to ask you today, Archbishop, what can I do to serve the Church what would you respond? If I were asked how mm. I can serve the church? Not you, but, but if somebody were to come to you and say, how can I best serve the church, Archbishop? What would you tell this person? Well, I think the best way to serve uh, the church, which means the body of Christ, the community, 
is to, uh, first of all, live a life of faith, hope, and love, uh, to practice uh, the faith faithfully, uh, and to um, contribute in, uh, or to respond in whatever way God calls you uh, to live your life. We talked a moment ago about Labor Day and work, and uh, that's the way you, you build up uh, the church. So for some of us, it's a full-time job, uh, like for myself, for yourself, for other people, it uh, is primarily uh, in, in the life of the family and in the world. But it all serves to build up the church and to make us all missionary disciples out in the world to bring Christ and the gospel to bear on uh, the way the world is and also to bring other people to share that faith that we have. Thursday, September 5th, is International Day of Charity. It's a day to honor the important work that charities all over the world do, such as help to save and improve people's lives, fighting disease, protecting children, giving hope to thousands of people. This day of recognition and celebration for charities is on the anniversary of the death of Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta. This choice commemorates the tireless work that Mother Teresa did by devoting her whole life to charity work. Archbishop, do you think that it's important for us not just to give financially to charitable organizations, but to also do charity work ourselves? Well, I would put it in perhaps a slightly different way. Uh, Mother Teresa famously said, and now this is from a woman who uh, provided an enormous amount of material charity to people, mm-hmm. but she said the greatest poverty in the world today is the, the hunger and thirst for love and for God, and that as important as uh, charity is in material things, uh, we also have to provide with the material. We have to provide uh, the life of the spirit and the and the and relationship with God and and faith, uh, and and I think that that's an extremely important, uh, timely lesson for us and for the world today. Well, let's now take a look at the road to happiness in life. And this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's Address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from Pope Francis's homily delivered on June 16th of 2013, and it's called, It is God Who Sets Us Free. The Pope says, The living God sets us free. So let us say yes to love and no to selfishness. Let us say yes to life and no to death. Let us say yes to freedom and no to being a slave to the many idols of our time. In a word, let us say yes to the God who is love, life, and freedom, and who never disappoints. Let us say yes to the God who is the living one and the merciful one. Only faith in the living God saves us. In the God who in Jesus Christ has given us his own life, who in the gift of the Holy Spirit has made it possible to live as true sons and daughters of God through his mercy. This faith brings us freedom and happiness. Archbishop, your thoughts. Well, you know, the theme of freedom is a very powerful one uh, about being set free. Mm. Uh, But uh, free from what and free for what? And uh, the world, of course, uh, has a notion of freedom that is freedom uh, from God and uh, as if God were some kind of uh, threatening uh, reality. You know, Pope Benedict spoke of this, that people ha- there's this human temptation to think that God uh, diminishes us as, as beings, that God diminishes us in our freedom, when the reality is the exact opposite. Uh, and uh, Jesus, of course, says, if the Son frees you, 
then you will indeed be free. The people had said, we're not slaves of anyone. We're sons of Abraham. And uh, Jesus says, well, if it's the son who frees you, then you will indeed be free because it is he, Christ the son, who frees us from sin and death uh, and makes it possible for us to do what on our own we cannot do by the grace of God. And that is to truly be free. Not Freedom is not to do whatever we want. Freedom is to do what is good and right and just, despite the things that enslave us that try to drag us down. So when we're liberated from those evil things that pull us down, then we're free uh, to embrace uh, that which is uh, absolutely beautiful, good and true, and the purpose of our existence. And I think Pope uh, Francis is uh, gives some of the, in, in what you read from him, gives us some of the beautiful images of uh, of God uh, and the freedom that God uh, confers upon us in Christ. Yes to love and no to selfishness brings freedom. Wonderful words of the Pope, and thank you for your uh, interpretation as well. Well, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but before we get to those questions, let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. And uh, this is the first day of September. Today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter, and after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with Archbishop Blair, we'll ask for his thoughts and what this Gospel means to him. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler who belonged to the Pharisees, they were watching him. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, and he marked how they chose the places of honor. When you are invited by anyone to a marriage feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest a more eminent man than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsmen or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so, Archbishop, your thoughts on the significance of this gospel in our lives today? Well, I think what we have here is a powerful statement by Jesus of the fact that um, heaven and the things of heaven and the things of God totally turned this world upside down. You know, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That in eternity, in heaven, it's the opposite of worldly pride and what we think is important is not important in the eyes of God. And similarly, Jesus says, you know, about uh, inviting to a banquet, not the rich and famous, mm. but the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, because they can't repay you. And that gives you some insight into what he's talking about, because if you do these things without uh, material, worldly pride repayment. Uh, it is God who will repay you in the things that really count, that really last forever. 
Uh, and uh, of course, that's a total uh, upset, upheaval of how we think of things. Uh, but that's what Jesus uh, tried to to teach us that uh, you know that the, the the things that are most precious and the things that are important in the eyes of heaven are contrary to human pride and human arrogance and the human desire to amass things for ourselves, whether it be uh, money or power, or pleasure or esteem, uh, all of those things. Uh, it with, we are to imitate Christ in His self-emptying. Uh, and of course, that's a very hard lesson for us. It, it requires grace to empty ourselves in humility, uh, even to the point of a cross sometimes, uh, in order to find the things that really matter. You know, when I first read this gospel and, and read the part of Jesus saying, when you invite those somebody to dinner, invite those that can't repay you, I, I thought of Pope Francis and his efforts to invite the poor to dinner at the Vatican is bringing in barbers, for instance, to cut the hair of the homeless and provide them with showers and better hygiene. Do you see him living out this gospel? Well, I think all of us have to live it out. Uh, clearly, the Pope is uh, uh, giving a good example in those kind of things, uh, and we all should try to do the same. Talk about how the application of Jesus' warning fits into our contemporary society. As he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted well in contemporary society is i don't think it's any different than society through the ages it's uh, part of our fallen human condition to uh, want to be tempted to exalt ourselves um at the expense of uh, others or um without acknowledging uh god uh or without acknowledging the value and worth of other people and their accomplishments you know it can become a, a kind of jealousy that um, you know if if we're not number one then somebody else might be and we 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 want you know it, it's just a part of the sinful fallen condition of our of our world um, but all the things that the gospel teaches us about humility and about uh, perfectly personified in Christ and about self-sacrifice and self-giving. I think in our heart of hearts, we recognize that that is a, a good and valuable thing and uh, the, what really matters, but we have to fight off the temptations to do otherwise. There seems to be an attitude of entitlement encouragement in our society today. I may not be deserving of the place of honor at the table, but I'm entitled to it. I may not have worked for a raise, but I'm entitled to it. I think there are modern-day applications of what Jesus was talking about, and as you say, it's part of a human condition uh, existing in our society since, since the time of Jesus and prior to that, for sure, our society today. Your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, the self, um, how should we say this, that humility and self-emptying uh, do not mean that we, uh, that they're opposed to, to justice, uh, you know, that we, we, we also uh, respect the fact that there has to be justice uh, in the way our society is ordered and the way we treat other people. Uh, but entitlement, yeah, I, I mean, that's a, a buzzword for, that can mean a lot of different things. But we also have to, so we have to be careful of that, you know. Um, just on the level of, uh, the, we talked, you know, earlier about, uh, about work mm -hmm. uh, and about, uh, you know, the, the need for, for uh, uh, meeting the needs of society in general and of other people. 
So entitlement can, can if it runs out of control, can be a, a negative force uh, that I'm always entitled to this and that rather than having to work for it um, or earn it or however way you want to put it, not just materially, but even in the way we uh, conduct ourselves. You know, for example, respect that sometimes we have to, let's put it this way, Here's a, that's a perfect example. We, we have to be respected as being human beings. That is something innate. Uh, that that people owe us respect, right. but there's another level of respect that we earn by the way we comport ourselves, by the kind of people we are, uh, and that second kind we can't just think we're entitled to it. It is something that we have to earn. Good way to put it. I like it. Let's look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. Larry from Derby, for instance, says, "I confess I have only been thinking of myself and my needs for a long time now." I care too much about impressing people with where I live, what car I drive, and what career I have. How can I ask God to help me focus less on myself and more on others? Hmm. Well, I think this uh, <laughs> public confession that you made uh, certainly uh, is a good beginning. I mean, that's what uh, examination of conscience and, uh, and uh, a kind of confession, either in the confessional or as you've just done, um, you know, uh, is the is the beginning, uh, Larry. But I think uh, then you have to, uh, as all of us, we have to uh, look for ways to uh, dwell less on ourselves and more on other people. And I think we need to do it in very practical ways. You know, um, concrete ways of, uh, of of doing so, which everyday life gives us plenty of opportunities to do, and life in the church gives us even more. Claire from Seymour says. My two daughters are around the same age, but are completely opposite when it comes to what is important to them. My younger daughter befriends the friendless and is deeply involved in our church's youth group. But my eldest never wants to attend Mass and solely cares about her popularity at school. What advice can you give me on how to get her involved again at church and become focused on her relationship with God? If you can answer that question, Archbishop... um, Wow, I, I agree. Um, I mean, it does bring up a kind of the mystery of the human person, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That uh, people uh, in very similar circumstances, uh, even related so closely, can have very different personalities. Uh, and that's a great mystery as to why we are the way we are, the particular temptations, strengths, and weaknesses that we have, the things that appeal to us or not. Well, I'd, I'd, I don't have any immediate practical advice to how to get your one daughter involved in church again. I think uh, as a parent and in the family, uh, you can you can require certain things of uh, younger uh, sons and daughters uh, and make that expectation clear. Uh, but I think it has to be lovingly done and with a good example of faith and prayer so that it doesn't just seem to be punitive, you know. Something that's strictly punitive will be resented but something that is presented firmly, uh, but with good example and prayerfully, I think it have a good effect. I think that the best thing is the good example. Huh? Parents they show by their example that doing good works, being charitable toward others, caring about other people, even discussing that around the dinner table, you know, how important it is to care that Aunt Mary is, is having a difficult time. She's got cancer. She's dealing with that. How important it is for Aunt Mary to to go to church and ask God's help and pray for her own spiritual strength and healing. 
Yes, and also to talk about devotional things and yeah. about prayer, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, we can't presume, like we once seemed to do, that, that young people or anybody really understands all these things. And uh, we, have to, we have to talk about them. I think that uh, that's very important. You know, uh, the um, bishops have done a lot of uh, soul-searching and looking at this phenomenon of uh, young people uh, turning their back on religion and, um, you know, the so-called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the ones who say that when you ask them about religion, say they have none. Uh, we're finding, startlingly, that in today's society, it's around the age of 13 that uh, boys and girls are beginning to make a decision about God and about faith. Uh, and there are a lot of factors coming into this, but it really is kind of troubling to imagine that at such a young age, they begin to make a decision that religion is really not important or that even more that they don't believe in God. Um, that's the more fundamental thing that's happening at the age of 13, that they, they don't believe in God. Now, what that says about our society, our world, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Um, but I do know that we have to strive mightily, spiritually, uh, and also we have to do what we can through our catechesis, through our, uh, you know, addressing some of these issues that are in young people's minds about the Bible, about science, uh, and about uh, the history of the church. Uh, those are all things that we have to address as well, and, and we're trying to do that. As you were talking, it brought up something. Just last week, I got a call from a friend of mine in Georgia who said that her daughter, who's about the age of 20, 21, her friend that she had known for a long, long time had gone to school with him, committed suicide at the age of 21. And, and, and I said, ah, what, how horrible that is. And how this was the only child for this mother and how she's totally devastated. And, and even just talking about this in the family, talking about how necessary it is that we support each other through these difficult times in which we live and how God is so important in the family and communicating, talking about God, talking about devotion, as you mentioned, Archbishop, is, is so very, very important in these troubling times in which we live. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, some people might resent my saying it and might may not like it at all, but, you know, if your life is becoming, for all practical purposes, godless, uh, I don't know how, uh, in, I mean, it's not surprising that some people are really drawn to, to suicide. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd, I have to, quick to add, that I don't mean that everybody that commits suicide is godless. That's not what I'm saying. Because there are people even who are practicing faith, etc., who, you know, have a relationship to God, who are drawn along this path. But in an increasingly secular world in which so many people do not have the grace of the sacraments or faith, who don't pray, uh, you know, if we really believe what Jesus says about the Holy Eucharist, for example, about confession, then we shouldn't say, oh, well, the fact that you never receive these things doesn't really make any difference. It does. And I think that there, there's people are not sustained spiritually, a lot of them, and they despair. They commit these, this act of suicide because of despair. Certainly not all, but, but, uh, but I can't help but think that that's a factor in all of this. So we commend them, these souls, to the mercy of God, because only God can judge a soul. But we certainly ought to be very much more concerned about people's spiritual welfare than we are just about uh, sociological things and psychological things. 
You know, St. Paul says, to those who love God, all things work together unto good. And that may be a very sound like a very harsh or cruel thing to say to a parent, for example, who's lost a child to suicide or something like that. But that's where, again, we have to take the whole view of eternity and we have to we have to put all our confidence and trust in God and commend both our, the living and the dead to the love and mercy of God. Can you close our program now, Archbishop, with a prayer and a blessing? Lord, you have proclaimed to us that in you we find true freedom, a freedom that the world cannot give. And so we pray that to the many souls who are burdened by doubt and pain, who struggle and suffer, including our own struggles and sufferings, that in the midst of all that, you will be present to us as the one who truly sets us free. So we ask you, Lord, to bless our country, our families, our church, and all of us with that gift of true freedom. May Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We uh, look forward to joining you again next week. We'll be on the air at 7 o'clock on Sunday with a repeat at 1130. Until then, we wish you a great week. Thank you.